There's moments when you stand up here and you're not really sure what you should say or even if you should speak. And that was one of those moments. If you have your Bibles with you, we're turning to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 18. And for those that are new, maybe even to the church context in general, I've been doing this recently and I'm going to continue to do it. Just to explain what we do now, we come to um, God's word, which we believe is his love letter for us. Words written by men, but yet inspired by God. And the heart is that we hear what the, the best God wants for us. We believe it's the revelation we have of this God in Jesus. And we seek to explore what he wants for us to improve our lives, to see transformation, and to draw nearer to him. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 18, and that's page 1,219 in your pew Bibles in front of you if you have them. So the passage says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, but be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who seeks seeks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Let's pray for Clive as he brings God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for this man and, and for the message you've given him. And pray that you um, open his mind and his mouth as he, as he delivers this word this morning. And pray you open our hearts to hear what it is you have to say. Challenge us anew. Refill us anew. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ross. Let me begin by uh, asking you a question. In terms of this frontline stuff, now that we've got the language, and uh, as we're looking at life on the frontline, we come to the fifth message, life on the frontline, and we're looking at strategy this morning. We're looking at our frontline strategy, and from one key verse, 1 Peter verse 15, but we'll look at the context around that. But before we get there, here's the question. Have you ever, on your frontline, in other words, in a context, whatever context, almost certainly not in the church, but beyond it, in the workplace, in a sports club, at college, at university, in the workplace, wherever, the family, the home. Have you ever felt you've completely blown it? Yeah, lots of us. Okay. Have you ever felt that it's not that you blew it, you just didn't risk blowing it, so you didn't do it. You didn't take the opportunity to say a word in season. Anyone ever had that experience? Even more. Well, the good news is you're in good company. Now, tonight you get a chance in the ending of the series on frontline parables, which kind of parallels this morning series, to look at a Cafe Connect style stories from the frontline. Tonight here, more of a chat show, but plus worship, 
you'll get a chance to hear amazing frontline stories from people as we have a cafe connect type approach. What does that mean? Well, it means that church becomes more like a cafe and we can hear their stories. Stories of people who, however falteringly and with however many nerves, they didn't blow it. They didn't fail to do it. They're, they're wanting us to pray for them because in their front line, they've managed to actually share something of God's love. But for those of you who have blown it, let me tell you that the author of this letter, this epistle, Peter, knew what it was to completely blow it. To completely blow it. You'll see. Let me do a book review as well at the beginning uh, and introduction of this message. This is a book by uh, InterVarsity Press IVP entitled The Whole of Life for Christ. Subtitle, Enriching Everyday Discipleship. It's seven studies for individuals or groups. And our small group leaders have had this recommended to them to follow on from life on the front line at some stage and before we get to the autumn series of messages, Fruitfulness on the Front Line. What Billington and Green have tried to do is put together for either individuals or small groups a resource to help us live the whole of our lives for Jesus to enrich us as everyday disciples if you are a Christian. You get the idea from the, the opening few words of devotion before we get into the, even the, the first chapter. Let me read that for you. Just a few words of devotion that uh, one of them has written here. Let me read it. It says this, What a joy to know that Christ is Lord of all things, that in all things He, that's Jesus, is fulfilling His purposes, that He empowers us for every situation, that in all things we do, we can serve him, and that in all things and in every place, he is with us. That's great, isn't it? He is with us. At the beginning of the very first session, just to read a little bit more, of a, a session entitled Whole Life Gospel, the amazing scope of Christ's work there's an illustration of the example Jesus gives. Listen to this. It's entitled First Thoughts. It's an amazing moment. Jesus, crucified, dead, entombed, arisen. Jesus, after his self-giving, sacrificial death, an act that was enough to defeat death and Satan and provide a way to the Father for every person who will receive him. Jesus, in the middle of the night, decides to spend some time at the beach. Sounds almost irreverent, doesn't it? Jesus goes to the beach. He finds a brazier, collects some firewood, whistles up some fish, and starts making breakfast for his disciples as they return from their night shift on the lake. The resurrected Redeemer Lord of all creation grilling fish for his friends. Sounds amazing. The one who created the universe is there cooking breakfast. The one who defeated death and Satan, who hung on a cross and is resurrected, is now there by a charcoal fire. And that is massively significant for one of those fishermen who gets out of that boat and comes to Jesus. Because the fisherman I'm talking about is Peter who had stood by a charcoal fire quite a while back. And despite the fact on the night when Jesus told them he was going to be arrested and he was going to be killed, he was going to be crucified, Peter had said, I will stay with you even to death. And Jesus had told him, even before the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. 
And Peter finds himself, if I can put it this way, in a frontline opportunity. He's not far from Jesus, where Jesus has been taken. He's in the light of a charcoal fire. And he's asked on three occasions, he's told, surely you're one of those, you, you sound Galilean, you're one of those fishermen, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to deal with it appropriately with beeps. Peter says something on at least one occasion like this, I don't even beep, 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 know him. And then the cock crows. He blew it. He blew his frontline opportunity. He went out and he wept bitterly. He failed to even acknowledge that he knew Jesus, let alone saying anything respectfully about Jesus. It wasn't with any respect that he says, shut up, I, I don't even know him. I'm not one of them. However, I paraphrase it, that was a difficult encounter for Peter. And yet it's Peter who wrote this letter. And it's Peter who from that humbling experience speaks with such passion and compassion to people who are being persecuted. The very thing he feared by that charcoal fire, the first charcoal fire, is what these people were now experiencing. And he writes out the humbling experience of the creator of the universe, the Lord of his life, with his pierced hands serving Peter and the disciples breakfast from barbecued fish. And you might even think by that charcoal fire it was a little bit unkind because Jesus has asked Peter, we know this from from the gospel, he asked Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? It would seem almost cruel if it wasn't so wonderfully compassionate and healing because by the third time Peter answers, I love you, you know I love you, you know all things, you know that I love you, Peter receives healing. I might have denied you and I might have blown it and I might have even done it with a curse and said I'm not one of his disciples but now I know that you know that I really love you. And then Jesus tells him a time is coming where he'll be led where he doesn't want to go. Peter died a death, crucified upside down as a result of the great persecution in Rome. And before that took place, before his arrest, he writes this epistle. The background is this. He writes it, the author, Peter, in about 62 to 64 A.D., probably almost certainly, in fact, from Rome, which is at the beginning of the great persecution under that evil Emperor Nero. Peter writes this to Jews who've been forced out of Jerusalem and have, uh, and have been scattered everywhere in what's called the diaspora. And out of a heart of understanding for what it's like when you're afraid, he writes to them to strengthen them. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. They've been persecuted by Nero, who even plays his fiddle while Rome burns and then blames it all on the Christians. He makes the Christians a scapegoat. He started this horrific persecution, and Peter is writing not only to Romans, but Jews have been scattered all over the world because of the persecution from fellow Jews. That's the context of this letter. Let me just give you a little bit of insight into that. In the very first verse, if you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and the first verse. He says, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to God's elect, strangers in the world. He says, it's like we're strangers in this world now because we know and love Jesus. We're still in it, but it's as if we're strangers. And then he says, strangers in the world, scattered or exiled, the underlying language. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatea, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
And yet he says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. When you take communion later, as Ross leads us, when we take communion together, it's as if we're in a sense being sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, but all it is is a symbol of what he's done. On that cross, he made us holy by his death if we put our faith in him. He dealt with all the bad stuff, the sinful stuff, and the wrong stuff, but he's called us and chosen us for a purpose, and we're like strangers scattered in the world. That's what Peter is saying. The diaspora is the name that was given to the Jews particularly and specifically, but to all Christians everywhere. But he's writing to these Jews in diaspora who have been persecuted. Listen to chapter 2, just to set the context a little bit more, from verse 19 to 21 of chapter 2. And you'll read this. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. That's what they're going through. He says, because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. What? What? Suffering? Yeah, that might be part of it for Christians. This is what you were called for, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So he's trying to strengthen these people and say, don't be surprised by this. God hasn't abandoned you. This is what Jesus himself went through. And when we come to the reading Ross brought, chapter 3, verse 8, listen to what he writes here. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For, and then he then quotes Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. In other words, don't react to them that way. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't respond to them the way others would respond. Verse 11, we must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God hears your prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Don't worry, they'll get what's coming if they don't turn. God's a God of love. But those who do evil in this world, there'll be a day of justice. That's behind what he's saying. And then he adds, verse 13, Peter, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Don't fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Wow. Now, I don't think it's going too far to suggest that it's at least possible that Peter, as he's writing this, has in his mind just how frightened he was by that first charcoal fire. Are you with me? He denies Jesus three times, but let's be honest, how would you and I have responded knowing that what we're probably going to get is the same crucifixion that Jesus is destined for? If we're really honest, how would we handle that? 
Maybe Peter's got this in his mind. But listen to what he says next. And this is the key verse, the one verse we're going to impact. Verse 15 of 1 Peter 3. But, don't be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who do speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than to do evil. Wow, it's a big, big, tall order. That's all by way of background. So as we look at whole life missionary discipleship, particularly from verse 15 and 16 of 1 Peter 3, we see the call to discipleship. The absolute call that is in the life of Peter, that he's experienced, that he was restored at that second charcoal fire to live and that will take him to his death upside down on a cross because he says, I'm not even worthy of dying the way my Lord died. Okay then, we'll nail you upside down. What courage. And he speaks to us, and there's a visual aid for you, he speaks to us in these couple of verses, particularly verse 15, about the fact that our hearts... And our mouths and our minds and our hands are going to be involved in this. Think hearts, okay, hearts. Think mouths that we speak with and think hands. Can we do that together? Hearts, mouths and minds and hands. A little bit of a jazz there, okay? Before we get on to what Peter is saying through this verse... Peter is almost certainly reflecting here in this whole epistle on what Jesus taught him on the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus in Matthew 5 and verse 10 and then verses 11 and 12 says something absolutely staggering to the people gathered for the Sermon on the Mount, including Peter and the Twelve. He says this in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It almost comes with a turf. There are people who die today for the name of Jesus. We might occasionally get a bit rattled, might be ridiculed, but there are people who will literally lay down their lives. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verses 11 and 12 of Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter's got that ringing in his ear. He's got the fact that he completely blew it by a charcoal fire. He's got the fact that he's been warned that he will be persecuted again by a second charcoal fire when he's absolutely reassured that Jesus loves him. And that Jesus defeated death. The resurrected Christ handed him fish from his nail-pierced hands. Wow. So let's look at these verses. The call to discipleship, even against the threat of suffering that Peter has and will experience, requires us with our hearts and our mouths and our actions, the hands that we serve people with, to display that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's at the heart of things. 
So in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. What, what does this mean? Well, the Greek word for Lord, kurios, was the word that was used in, in a translation of all the Old Testament scriptures, in a translation by 70 scholars, so they named it the Septuagint, 70 scholars translated the Hebrew scriptures, 70 Jews, so that the Greek world could have their scriptures. And wherever they took the holy name for Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, which they would not take upon their lips, they translated it kurios. So to say in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, to write in Old Testament scriptures, kurios, and then for this term to be used of Jesus means that Jesus is no other than the very Son of God. God in the flesh, kurios, the Lord. And the big problem here was that Nero wanted to be described as Lord. The emperor was worshipped. There were temples set up to him. Nero was the most violent and the most vicious. And Nero demanded that incense be sprinkled regularly, annually at least, and that people should declare that he was Lord. And the Christians couldn't do this. You had to have a certificate to establish this, but the, the Christians wouldn't do it because they knew that he wasn't Lord. Caesar's not Lord, Nero's not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And to set him apart in your heart, means in the core of your being, could take you to a cross. Could take you to the amphitheatre in Rome, the Colosseum. Could mean that you would be fed to the lions, that you would be slaughtered. Wow. The second part of 1 Peter 3.15, this strategic verse, is that with our mouths and our minds, engaging our minds as we open our mouths, we should, as it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So you buy a charcoal fire, terrified, and someone says, weren't you one of them? That's the chance to say, yeah, I was close to Jesus. And he's my Lord. Not beep, beep, beep. I don't even beep, beep, know him. Be prepared to give an answer. The, the word there is apologia, a defense, an apologetic. The whole Christian uh, study of apologetics is how to give a reasoned defense. For the Greeks, this was a logos, a word, a logos, a word of explanation. An apolo- not to be apologetic, but actually to give a reasoned defense that people could understand and even be persuaded by. That's going to take courage and wisdom, particularly under persecution. A reason for the hope that you have. But the next part tells us when you give a reason for the hope you have, you've got to be reasonable in how you do it. Because the next bit says... That in your actions, display gentleness and respect. Be reasonable when you give the reason for the hope that you have. Be reasonable in your relationships. Keep a clear conscience, we're told in verse 16, and show good behavior. Let, Let me read that for us. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The reason that someone when Christians are being persecuted, might ask a Christian for the reason for the hope that they have is because they know other Christians are getting crucified and fed to the lions. But hopefully it's also, and this is what Peter's making clear, because these Christians just live differently. 
What they do with their hearts and what they do with their mouths and what they do with their hands in serving others, the love that they show, their care for the poor, the difference they make with the outcasts, that causes some people, maybe even some of those who've been persecuting them, to say, why do you have this hope? What do you believe? And then you can give your apologia, your logos. You can give with gentleness and respect the reason for what you believe. Let's not expect anyone out there to want to listen to us if our life doesn't measure up and there's no authenticity, there's no integrity in it. Let's not not expect those out there, if we don't treat them with gentleness and respect, to even want to ask us what the reason is. And while we talked about Peter blowing it, and many of you saying, you've blown it, let me tell you a story about when I blew it big time. Big time. I want to talk to you about a man called Chris Bolton. Chris was a lovely man. He was a gentle guy, very, very big, gentle giant, big and tall and big and even more rotund than your preacher today. And he had a nickname. He and I sometimes used to open the batting for my cricket club, Muddyford, down near Christchurch. And he was given the nickname Linford, which is short for Linford Christie. Why was he given the nickname Linford? Because sportsmen can be ironic. Have you ever noticed that? When Chris and I were opening the batting, there weren't too many, if you understand the game of cricket, quick singles. Because Chris was very tall and very big, and I was not quite so tall and also quite big, and we weren't that quick off the mark, in my case, mostly due to age, not overweight, of course. But Chris was ironically nicknamed Linford, short for Linford Christie, because he wasn't like a sprinter of international repute between the wickets. And we would go sometimes after a game of cricket back to the working men's club, and I would perhaps have a small orange juice, and he would have a lot of beer. Uh, If you believe that, well, you'll need to talk to my wife. But anyway, the point is, we would get talking. And he would be very interested. He was an educated man. He'd be very interested in these things. And quite often, I'd get to make my apologia with gentleness and respect, hopefully, and meet Chris where he was at in a dialogue. But on one particular occasion, Linford had had far too much beer. I think he'd probably got a 50 that day or maybe even a 100. It probably took him all day, as it would have done me. But the fact is that he was deciding to bait the Christian. Anyone ever played that with you? Let's have a little bit the Christian competition. And Linford was going for it big time, and a crowd was gathering because Linford was doing very well. And I blew it completely because I went from the gentleness and respect mode to the change the sport, rugby player, front low, row, draw a line in the sand, don't step over it, and take him on. Belligerent, aggressive, loud. I know it's hard to imagine I'm ever like that. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing again more? Why are you laughing even more? And I left that club that night feeling really bad. I'd blown it. What I said, I could have said in a different way, and it would have been perfectly acceptable. It would have been a good apologia. It would have been a good logos. It was very convincing. But the more angry he got, the more he realized it was making sense. The more angry he got, sadly, the more I responded. And he baited me, and he wound me up in the full view of my teammates and guys in that club. And I knew what I needed to do the very next Friday. I needed to go in there and apologize to him and them, and I did. You'll get to know that I'm quite willing to give apologies because I have to do it so often and last year I spoke at Chris's funeral 
when he died of pancreatic cancer. Horrible death. Despite the wonderful ministry of the doctors and nurses, despite the love of his friends and family who rallied round him, and he asked that I would do as a dying wish his funeral service. And the place was absolutely packed to the seams with people that had played cricket with Linford or rugby with Linford and me. And I had the immense privilege of giving a respectful, gentle apologia, including the time I blew it with my friend Chris. God is a God of the second chance if we handle things with gentleness and respect. God is the God of love. God is the God who wants to be on your front line with you. God is the God who serves from his nail-pierced hands by a charcoal fire. God is the God who wants to reach out to others like Chris Bolton with love. And I've got a load more stuff to say, but the Holy Spirit, you'll be delighted to know. It just told me that's enough. I'll tell you about the servant queen next week, maybe. Let's pray. I'm so glad, Father, that you're a God who speaks. And there's so much more I could say, but where we need to be, Father, right now, I sense you telling me, is at your son's table. Because at your son's table, there's mercy for those people who, like me with Chris, blew it completely. Because at your son's table, we come through him to you and encounter the love of a father who throws his arms around us. Because at your son's table, we find mercy and grace and forgiveness and eternal life and power and strength to live this life for you. So, Father, help us to set apart in our hearts Jesus Christ as Lord. To always be prepared when we're asked for the reason, for the hope that we have, to give that answer with gentleness and respect. And to do that knowing that we are loved by you and your Spirit will always help us with the very words we say. Lord, help us to live for you, not just around this table, but wherever we are, Monday through to next Sunday, for the glory of Jesus. And in his name we ask it. Amen.